0: necessarily like revenue growth for me. It was always about doing something that was impacting people in a meaningful
1: way. Welcome to another edition of The Cusp Show, the Columbia University sports podcast, where we talk about the business of sports, media, disruption, education, entertainment, brands, all different kinds of stuff. I'm Joe Favorito with my longtime co-host... Tom Richardson. And Tom, we are here at the beginning of December. So at the end of December, is it nine years or eight years that we've been doing this now? No, the first show, let's get this on record. December. The first
2: show we did was late December of 2015.
1: So we will have our eight-year anniversary. Wow. Yeah, really hard. And actually, for the oral history of our show, the first show we recorded... Never aired because we didn't how to record it. Remember that
2: was. We've come a long way. Who would have thunk it, Joe? Back in 2015, that in 2023 we'd be doing these on Zoom through video conferencing. And we and we haven't done one in person
1: together in three years, which is no.
2: God, and we think about how we used to struggle to find rooms and the right setups. And I miss miss that. I kind of miss the alarms and the and the garbage trucks backing up and all the sounds of Broadway in New York City. Someday again. Anyway. Um so so Joe, I gotta ask you a couple of things about what's going on in the biz right now. Um I'm curious about your thoughts on uh this NBA in season tournament. Because I've been following yes. this as a basketball fan and as a and as a business follower. You probably know the ratings are up. There's more of a there feels like there's more of a buzz. That's been the general consensus about NBA basketball at this time of the year than in seasons past. It's coming to its head. Obviously in the following week, as you may know, it'll be concluded by next week. And it's kind of fun. It's interesting. It's gotten mostly good reviews. But what is your take on that as a former
1: NBA guy? So, so um I was at the SBJ Dealmakers conference on when I was only there for Wednesday because I have class on Thursday and talked to heard from several people. Um, really good friend of mine, Tommy Shepard, who ran Uh, Wizards, all Wizards basketball stuff uh, was um, separated from them at the end of last year. We spent an hour together and then heard from some of the Wizards people talking about it. And I thought it was interesting. The takeaway, and it made me think about it a little bit different, but the takeaway is that the players really like it and they understood it a little bit and understood it more as it went around. No one's seen it as a hassle yet until they look at the schedule and realize that there's two more games added if they got knocked out. Mm-hmm. They said they really think it will have its moment when whoever it is is celebrating raising a trophy in Las Vegas for the final because then that registers with the players that this is meaningful because there's something tangible at the end of it.
2: Yeah, tangible and, um, including dollars, $500,000. Oh, right. Dollars, dollars winning, that's also Players amazing. on the winning team. Um, um, now,
1: yeah. I think like everything else – it's going to have to be tweaked two or three or four different ways to figure out how this works better. I saw they had really bad issues with tickets trying to sell tickets. They were doing four for one at one point for next Friday. Really, um, part of it is you don't know who's playing. Well, that that varied by market. Though I know the Knicks were sold yeah. out the other night. You know, no, 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 no. I mean, in Las Vegas for the final. Oh, oh,
2: for the. I'm sorry, for the yeah. final.
1: Okay. Yeah, because for, you don't know. The final and, rounds, Yeah. Yeah, because you, you don't know who's playing yet. So, right. so I, th- I think there's things like that. The bottom line is, if people watch it. At a time of year when they're not thinking about the NBA, which normally starts at Christmas, and the, the numbers are there, they were able to sell more merch. They created some floors for the most place, except for in Dallas where they were fine in a different design. You know, maybe they went too overboard. There's a brand that's going to be tied to it. They're going to test putting the two broadcast crews together for the first time. I saw. that. So, what's you know, what's the downside of it? You know, as long as nobody gets hurt, like Edwin Diaz, which mm-hmm. doesn't seem like it's gonna. And the games count. Right. So, yeah. So, you know, I think an American audience has to get used to it. The rest of the world understands how these things work. Ironically, the NWSL is getting rid of their Challenge Cup next year mm-hmm. um, because it created too many, ha- re- too much havoc with the schedule. But the NBA mostly has tenants in the building. They have the ideas. They know how to do the schedule. You know, I personally didn't do anything for me because I'm not really watching it that much. Um, but I think I think come next Friday is when they'll they'll have the aha moment. That's yeah. That's and the Knicks are the Knicks are in the
2: uh, quarterfinals, so that's yeah. cool. So. Um, yeah, look, I, I love the experimentation. I love how the NBA continues to growth hack its product. I think every sport needs to do that at this point. Mm-hmm. We've discussed many times. So uh, anyway, the other thing I'll mention is that it was notable that NASCAR got their new media deal. Tremendous for them. A 40% bump and, for the first time ever, a streaming partner, in this case, Amazon. So the incursion by big tech into our business
1: continues well, and no end in sight. Well, the other side of that is the carve-out that they have for CW, which I think is really important. Right. Mm-hmm. Because as much as we think everybody's streaming, is a big part of the United States that is still... Not even, not doesn't even have cable, and they got to figure mm-hmm. out how to do that. And that's right. why I think you're looking, you're seeing some of these teams in their markets go back to broadcast deals, at least as a carve out. And that's a model that has worked for everybody from the UFC to the WWE, where you give them something, they get engaged, and then you sell up to the big thing. That's how the Ultimate Fighter was launched and saved the UFC. And uh, WWE does it all the time. You lead all these shows to a pay per view. So, uh, I think it's great. Very happy for Steve Phelps and NASCAR. They all deserve it. Everybody deserves the money. Uh, where it's going to go? But Tom, I have two other things before we get to our guest. Yeah. So we're real, as opposed to Sports Illustrated, which is making up people. <laughs> um,
2: oh, Joe, that was a sad day. Uh, and then wait, 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 like, it gets better. Okay. And then you ahead. have
1: Deadspin. Uh, you know, a a writer who is, I think is a very good writer with. Has always had a chip on his shoulder, and he's always looking for something. But first of all, Deadspin got what they wanted; they got tremendous clicks and visibility on non-story, and didn't have to recant anything. Um, but again, it just shows you—you know—people go, you know, run to the, you know, the the fire that's going on, and, and aren't worried about if it's a big flame or not. But I don't think the the stuff that happened with SI is going away anytime soon. By the way, AP this week started to test. Doing AI using the data from college basketball games, not writing stories and making up mm-hmm. people like Sports Illustrated did. Um, but they tested it and they got caught. By the way, just so U.S. USA Today got caught doing the same thing three weeks ago. So, mm-hmm. oh, is that right? I didn't see yeah. that. Story. So, no. so it was just an interesting kind of couple pieces of of you know tech run amok. Uh, well, yeah. Because, and speaking of tech run amok,
2: I we we. We have to mention what happened with Elon Musk this week, don't we? Since you're Elon such a Musk, and how about
1: Cristiano Ronaldo getting sued by for for his uh, his uh, I know, I
2: know, and then Mav Carter with the gambling. I mean, this Mav is, Carter, it it's crazy. All... But, 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 but Joe, let's we got to spend a second, quick second on the Elon thing because if you're an advertising based business and yeah. you tell your customers to yeah. do what he told them to do, and okay. I watched that clip, I. I think four times, because I was Mm -hmm. so taken aback by it, like a lot of people were. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: We're we're at an interesting point in Twitter history, and you know that I've retreated uh, greatly. Um, I'm spending maybe 10% of the time on it uh, that I used to. I'm not posting. I miss it in a way, but um, it's really hard to support this individual. And when you're insulting the very well-liked and respected CEO of one of the most important entertainment companies in the world in in the middle of a conference with like-minded people in New York City, like, what the hell? So I don't know what more there is to say about that there, but um it's gonna have dire effects, I think, on the future of X.
1: We'll see. We didn't start the fire, as now that song has been rewritten again. <laughs> right. That's...
2: Re-release. All right, let's get to our guest. Yeah. We have a great uh, a yep. great person uh visiting us um, on So
1: Tori Hannah and I have uh Come to know each other probably over the last six months. Um, actually, we met before this when she was working in the coffee business. Believe it or not, um, has had an amazing career at Under Armour um, and one of our Super Bowl guests. Uh, when this orig- this idea originally launched, Christian Ponder, who played in the NFL, his wife Sam, and obviously, you know, tremendous broadcast talent, um, told us about this idea in in at Super Bowl where it's basically, and I'll let Tori explain what the post is, but um, it's really a a physical virtual place where people who have backgrounds in athletics, college athletics, who are not elite athletes anymore, probably for the most part, um, can come and learn, share ideas, uh, and grow as a community, which never really existed before. And I'm going to point out something that I I heard this week at the SBJ conference where Malcolm Jenkins was talking and he talked about identity and who is he as a person. And he, he said, as he was going through his career, I'm, I'm looking at what he wrote. He said, I realized during my career and afterwards and what I wanted to do going forward, I was a leader, a problem solver and a storyteller. And I build my life around that as my identity. And when talking to my buddy, Tommy Shepard um, from Monument, who was at the Wizards for a long time and had worked at the Nuggets and other places, the USA Basketball, And one of the things we talked about was athlete identity in the world we are in today for college athletes. And why that came up was I was at a Rutgers game on Monday night and I looked at the Rutgers roster and they have a guy uh, on their team who's playing. I don't want to mention his name, but on the bottom where they say, you know, previous stops, it was like five. It almost filled up the entire page because he played at four different schools. So what's the identity of that person? And I think what, Tori and Christian and team were doing at the post, I think may help some people find that North Star as to what their identity is and, and what their lives are going to be like. So anyway, enough about me. Tori, Hannah, welcome to the Cusp Show.
0: Thank you guys. I appreciate you having me on. I'm excited to dig in here. So um, cool. So
1: why don't you get us, walk us
0: yeah, through your
2: career. That's what first. I was going to suggest. Just kind of okay. c- c- catch everybody up on how how you got to where you are, because it, it really is quite a story.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So um, I had played lacrosse at University of Maryland. Um, and as I was finishing up my career, there was a little known company called Under Armour at the time, or finishing up my career college career. Um, there's a little known company called Under Armour. And so I needed an internship um, in order to complete my coursework. And I called them up. We happened to be wearing their gear um, uh, for lacrosse. And I called them up and asked them for an internship. They're like, well, we don't really have a program. So I guess you can show up and, you know, we'll kind of see where it goes. And so I ended up becoming the first intern at Under Armour and um, carried that for a year and a half while I finished up my fifth year in school. And as I graduated, they were launching a women's line. And so they hired me on as the first women's um, sports marketer at Under Armour. And I went, my first job was going from college town to college town selling in Under Armour. Um, And so I did that. I was on the sports marketing side for the bulk of my career. I spent 18 years at Under Armour. Um, So we went from, you know, first intern, 19th employee. By the time I left in 2019, there was over 21,000 people and we were $5 billion. Um, So it was, um, you know, for me, I'm just so... I didn't know what I was walking into. I was very naive to it. You know, my dream job was to work in sports marketing at Nike. And, um, you know, little did I know that this actually gave me so such a better opportunity because I got to see the growth of a company. I got to get my hands dirty in the growth of the company um, and really help shape what it became. Um and you know, if you if I'd gone to an established brand, it's kind of like, okay, great. Here's your cube. This is what your role is going to be. And We'll see you in ten years when maybe you'll get a promotion or anything.
1: So, so Tom, Tom, did you feed Tori all this stuff that she's saying there, or it just kind of happens? No, I'm, it's, it's, I'm just smiling, listening to her story because it's a yep.
2: conversation where we have with our students a lot about yep. going to large established brands versus working with new, you know, newer companies, early stage companies. The yep. opportunities are very different.
0: They're very different. And this is not planned by any means. Um, I actually, I'm a huge proponent of the fact of, you know, I was able to get so much experience in so many different realms. So during the internship, I bounced literally from department to department and got to see what it meant to truly build a company from the ground up, but also how a decision over in this department affects a decision over there. And you don't get that sort of like front row seat in an established brand at all. Um, You know, and, and if you're, you're lucky if you're not filing papers or packing boxes, your entire internship, (laughs) quite frankly. Um, And so I, I really, I'm so grateful for my experience at Under Armour and I'm grateful for the time that I spent there as well.
2: Corey, I know at one point you became the global sports marketing strategist or something like that. I can't remember the exact title which which obviously is an enormous job but at what point did you kind of move from let's call it operations and sales into the 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 whole realm of strategy cuz that is a different beast and i and i'm curious if when you did that you were conscious of the fact that you're moving into like bigger uh, a, a bigger realm of business which is something about global strategy which sounds so intimidating
0: yeah, <laughs> um, it's it's funny you say that because what actually got me there, I never, I didn't know that I had a strategic mind. I didn't set out to be a strategist. Um, I really actually, the way it came about is that I was in charge of signing and activating our partners. So that was NCAA colleges, it was individual athletes, and it was teams, pro teams, um and so the way i would look at those deals was how could we holistically 360 activate with this one partner to maximize the partnership and in a lot of times um i think in sports marketing it becomes very service oriented and and tactical and transactional and I really wanted to make sure that we were making this into a partnership. So you take a Michael Feltzer Lindsey Vaughn, I would meet with their teams relentlessly and we would figure out where the crossover is between where Under Armour was trying to go and what they were trying to do with their personal brands. And we would find those intersection points and then weave the, the you know, red thread through there. And so I think that naturally just given my approach to how I kind of operated with the deals it became very strategic and it became kind of a center point for how we wanted to activate and maximize the deals um, that we did have and the investments that we had with the, the partners. So um, that was a, uh, yeah, <laughs> maybe a long winded way of saying it, but.
1: So Tom, before you ask your question, I have one really mm-hmm. important question mm-hmm. for Tori. Mm-hmm. Does Under Armour have interns now?
0: They have a whole intern program, <laughs> and it is rosy. I'll tell you that.
1: <laughs> um,
2: as we as we get into talking about the post, mm-hmm. what did you take away from that experience that made the post make sense to you? The post concept.
0: Yeah. So as I um as I navigated my career at Under Armour um. There's there's always been something in me like I want to grow, I want to develop. And anytime I kind of felt like my role was getting stale or that I wasn't being challenged in ways at Under Armour, we were shifting as a company, anyways. And so I got those opportunities, much to our earlier conversation around like, why go with the established brand over or the uh, non-established brand over the established brand is. I was able to continue to feel like I was growing and developing, to feel like I was being challenged. And so it did come to a point, and I'm sure, you know, everyone has seen the the Under Armour kind of like the plateau that that happened um, where I didn't feel that anymore. And, And it was at that point that I had to do some deep work and understanding and really kind of check myself at like, I've been on this journey and this path and kind of been kicked around. And I've always said yes to everything, right. And so now it was my time to kind of plant my feet and figure out when was it in my career that I actually truly loved what I was doing? And why did I love it? And every time I would have this thought pattern and I would journal and do these things, it came back to the early stages of a company and it came back to having a meaningful impact and not just being a number. And it wasn't about, you know, necessarily like revenue growth for me. It was always about doing something that was impacting people in a meaningful way. And in the early stages of Under Armour, that's what we were doing. We were giving people a better product. Um, And so you know, as I started navigating and figuring out next steps in my career, I think the other thing I wanted to challenge myself on was that at, at Under Armour, I was kind of typecasted in the sports marketing space, relationships, partnerships, that sort of stuff. But I would always kind of tip my like my fingers into PR and brand marketing and everything. I'd get my hands slapped here or there, but like I really was about collaboration and really looking at these things holistically. And so... I wanted to see what it would look like if I went into brand marketing, if I went into more of a a, a strategic marketing position as opposed to just a partnerships realm. Um, And so I did a a quick stop at Super Coffee um, and had a tremendous opportunity there to be with a brand that was, it was a challenger brand going up against Starbucks, Dunkin' Donuts um, in the ready to drink coffee space and, um, and being able to shape it and grow it. Um, And I was able to do that. I loved it. Um, You know, the brand itself, I learned, and this is the thing is like, not everything's rosy, right? I did learn, I do not love the grocery space. I do not love trade marketing. I do not love this more tactical marketing. Um, And so I think for every You know, every day that maybe it's not the best day that you're having or anything else, it's like you're learning something about yourself. And every, you know, every one you interact with, every leader you interact with, like you're learning more and more and that information helps shape you down the road. And so um, I knew Jason LaRose is one of the co-founders. So you mentioned Christian Ponder, who is the co-founder of The Post. Uh, former NFL athlete um, and turned business professional. And he developed the post because really to answer a need of his own is that you know, he went into the po or went into the real world after his NFL career and couldn't find his people. He couldn't find the inspiration that he was looking for. He had gone in the finance space and just kind of felt flat and knew that it wasn't a matter of his NFL career being over. It was more a matter of who he was surrounding himself with or who he was able to surround himself with. And he had this aha moment that it's athletes. It doesn't matter what sport you played. It doesn't matter what age you are. It doesn't matter gender. Um, It really was just the simple fact that athletes are built differently. We have these innate skills that through our time on the field, our time at practice, our commitment to each other, our commitment to our coaches, our commitment to ourselves, that we built these skills that innately qualify us to be leaders if shaped in the right way. And so he went and he started working with um, Motivate Lab. Well, first of all, he started working with Jason LaRose, who was the president of North America um, at Under Armour. Um, you know, to to really understand, like, what does this business look like? Is there a business here? How do we build it if there is? And so the two of them became co-founders in this journey. Um, And then they worked with a woman named Krista Samaras, who owns Brave uh, Brave Enterprises. She was working with Motivate Lab out of uh, UVA. And what Motivate Lab is, is it's a group that has done deep research on the science of motivation. And what is it that makes athletes motivated? And and Joe, it comes back to your comments about like identity and purpose, right? Mm -hmm. And as athletes, our identity for so long gets wrapped up in being an athlete. And when you take those shackles off, when you take yourself out of that, you have to re- claim your purpose. You have to reclaim your identity. Who are you without, who am I without the sport of lacrosse? And I had to do that again when I moved from Under Armour's. I was there for 18 years. Like, I, it was synonymous. Like, oh, it's Tory and Under Armour, Tori Under Armour, you know? And so I had to, like, reestablish what my identity was and what my purpose was going to be. What was going to drive me forward every single day? Um, And it's a constant journey, but that's what we're doing at The Post is that we're giving former athletes who are now business leaders um, the opportunity to really kind of use each other as a network. And then we're giving them resources to help shape what their identity, what their purpose, what their goals are, and helping them go get those. Um, And it's through, yes, there is a social aspect to it. We've got a clubhouse. We do events all the time. Joe's helped us put together this incredible event that's gonna happen on um, the 12th of this month uh, with Boys in the Boat, which is the new movie coming out in December that George Clooney was a director of. Um, So we're gonna be able to do a preview of that movie for all of our members. And before that, we're gonna have Mary Wittenberg and Yale come and speak about the underdog mentality and how at Gotham FC, they were able to overcome being the underdogs and rise to the occasion and win the NWSL championship two weeks ago. Um, And so it's just like having these really meaningful conversations and understanding that these innate skills and qualities really are transferable in business.
2: So how's the feedback been? I saw in the article that was written earlier in the year in boardroom that you got initially uh, 500 uh, curated members obviously with the intention to grow can you can you talk about how it's developed over the course of the year
0: yeah so we started opening membership um at the end of q1 last uh this this year and um it has steadily been growing so and we've been trying to do it um strategically you know like we didn't want to open the floodgates right away and feel overwhelmed we want to make sure that we are giving people an incredible experience and so we're at um, just about 400 members now um, uh, nationwide. So we have about 100 clubhouse members there in New York and then the rest are spread out across the nation um, with different little hotbeds that are coming up and stuff. Um, We opened our first clubhouse in New York uh, in September. We held our first summit in October at PGA National. So day one, everyone competes, golf, tennis, pickleball, we're on Summit Cup teams, we're accumulating points for our team. Um, you know, everyone gets to meet each other that way. It's kind of like low stakes, really cool way to interact. And then day two is where we get to work and it's really like deep conversation. So we had Jason Cart from Human Co., Caleb Campbell, and Ryan Mundy did an incredible talk on mental wellness. Um and then we had um, Tree Labs and um, Julius Thomas come and just talk about the idea of cognitive training. Like we train our bodies all the time as athletes, you know, and even, um, you know, just staying in shape and everything. But there hasn't really been a way to train your brain in, you know, and they they developed this um, based off of Julius's experience having a concussion. He's like, why we need to bring this to the masses. And so we were able to partner with them and bring that into our members um, and give them an experience that they wouldn't have gotten otherwise. So. What a
2: great idea. Um, Joe, if you don't mind, I got one more. Right away, Tom. On the post. Um, There was a quote from Christian in the article that struck me. What we're really selling is the relationships people have Mm-hmm. And I know that an interesting facet of this that <clears throat> I didn't see at first was that people, uh, excuse me, members need to have both the, the athletic experience, you know, the you know college ath- uh, athletic experience, but also some professional experience.
0: Mm-hmm. So you're
2: not getting young people just out of college or, or senior, you know, rising seniors leaving, graduating in May or whatever. Can yeah. you talk about that vis-a-vis the relationship thing? Because obviously the relationships that you have in college, for all of us, whether you're playing sports or not, are kind of confined to your world of college and the things you do at college. Whereas you get into professional uh, world, you never know who you're going to meet, and you go to a couple of jobs, and then five years later, you have a real network, you, you start knowing people. Is that, is that a, a key part of this, that you need to find that, intersection between the right athletic elements and also some professional knowledge and and insights
0: yeah you know it's it's interesting tom because um yes we are right now like you've got to start somewhere right and if we just kind of like opened up and was like okay anyone who used to play sports come join us right um it, that's hard for us to to really establish ourselves and establish our brand and so i think that's where that strategic process comes into place is that we're shaping the beginning of this really with experienced people, people with networks, people that um, want to help one another, people that, um, yes, they have experience from an athletic standpoint, we're looking college, Olympic level or uh, slash national team, and um, pro level, right? And then from a business standpoint, we're saying, you know, five years in the professional space, as an example. Um, however, our youngest member is 23, our oldest member is 73, right? So there is a, a wide range there. Um, but I think the important thing that that is, is that we are trying to shape this network, and then grow it from there. And so if we shape it, at, um, you know, with people fresh out of college, then I'm not sure that the experienced people are going to come in later down the road. But I think right. if we shape it with the experience, then the when as we grow it out, then the people that are coming right out of college are going to, um, you know, want in, they're going to want to learn from all these people. And I think that's the biggest thing is like we are, we're shaping a community with growth mindset, out of growth mindset, people that. Are curious people that oh, that want to continue to develop, want to learn, and so you could get somebody that's incredibly experienced that had an amazing professional career, um, you know, in in athletics. But if they already think they know everything, like, is that going to help our community? I don't. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Though, but I would I would say that you know that growth mindset is something that we're really trying to, from a culture, really foster.
1: Tori, can you touch on, um, without naming specific companies, like if you think of 10, close your eyes and look at 10 people who are already members, where, what are they doing now? Like what are their jobs? Because I, I think people look at this and say, ah, oh, you know, this is for athletic directors and people who work at apparel firms and, um, you know, because it, it's a pretty diverse group, correct? I mean, and it's not what you think about as being, oh, you know, former athlete, you know, doing something in an athletic field.
0: Yeah, Um, I think that's a great question. So it it is diverse. And I think that's the amazing thing about sport is that you naturally get a very diverse population. And so our members, we have a lot of finance, lawyers, founders, entrepreneurs, um, like you name it. And I mean, we've got that within our 400 members. And I think that's the cool thing. We, We have a teams program. Um, that you know once you come into membership you have an opportunity to opt into a team and you get put on a team with eight to ten people team is another core value of the post is that we believe you can't do it alone is that you know when when you're in a team you rise up you perform better and then you also help everyone else do the same thing and so Teams are as a core component. So you get put with eight to 10 people based off your purpose, based off your goals, we're going to assign and say, Hey, these eight other people, they're going to be able to help you achieve your goals. Oh, and by the way, you're going to help them achieve theirs. And it's through your network. It's through your experience. It's through all these other things. But we, we believe that with those eight to 10 people and you're meeting on a monthly basis and you're able to have like deep conversations, like, hey, Joe, I've never gone through layoffs before. Like, what do I do? How do I approach it? How do I have a human conversation with my direct report who I've built a relationship with that I now have to lay them off? You know, like we're having deep conversations with people. Um, and, um, and so I do think that from that aspect of like teams and, and experience and everything, it kind of like you need that experience in order to be beneficial on those teams.
2: Corey, what does building a brand circa 2023 mean to you? Yeah. You, This has been a theme of a lot of conversations we've had on the pod with marketing types, mm-hmm. which is you, like all, like all of us, watch this incredible transformation of the world of marketing, advertising through digital media, et cetera, the rise of social and all the things that went along with it. Marketing is so different than it was when we were younger, and you started out, pre let's call it beginning of web two now we're now into whatever close to Web. (laughs) what what does it mean to you to like when you think of your job now as chief brand officer what does it look like compared to how it might have been
0: yeah you know it's such a good question because yes there are so many more tools and there's so much more data and analytics to be able to really hone in and and make decisions off of and everything But at the end of the day, and I think probably why, you know, super coffee and the grocery space wasn't for me is that I love building emotional connections with consumers. And so for me, I learned mostly because of super coffee that I want to be with brands that truly are delivering value to people's lives. And I think when you can make an emotional connection with someone and you can, um, and it's not a transactional relationship and a transactional per, uh, purchase. Then, to me, like all the marketing tools and the data and the analytics and everything, like it it takes care of all of that stuff. I I don't know, I'm not saying it well, but um, but I do think like when you win over that that mind share, right? Then then like it's all, the rest of it will take care of itself.
2: Mm. So, in in terms, if you don't mind a quick follow-up. So so what does that look like in terms of marketing execution, brand development execution? How important, for example, is social media for this brand development versus, let's say more conventional marketing that you might do directly to consumers? I mean, you have your members, you kind of need to do member, you know, uh, let's call it, retention marketing, and then eventually, as you grow, acquisition marketing, so to speak. So yeah. how important are each of the different parts of the business right now? Let's start with social.
0: Yeah, okay. So social social is important, um, really more from establishing the brand, right, for current members and then pr- prospective members. Um, we have a unique um, situation, though, in that we have such a very targeted demographic and you can't just go into LinkedIn or go on to Instagram, Facebook, um, and then say, I just want athletes. Like, you can't do it. It doesn't exist. It's not out there. So we are very much of like, we're, we're talking with leagues, teams, schools, um, you know, really kind of using our networks in order to get the brand out there and get conversations going. Um, LinkedIn for us is a, is a huge opportunity, one, because of the breadth that we're able to, to, you know, get the message out there. Um, but two, because we want people in business, right? And so people that are in business are in LinkedIn. People that have, well, you know, are are looking to to grow their business, looking to get better or have a curious mindset, like they happen to be on LinkedIn. And so that's where we, um, we spend a bulk of our time is over there. Instagram, I think, is important because... Like we know when somebody sees a brand now, they're not necessarily Googling it anymore. They're going to Instagram to find out about the brand. And so you need to have a strong presence on Instagram um, with, with who you are, what you're doing, um, whether you're using that in the traditional marketing sense, you know, or not. Um, I do think so. I was at Under Armour and really like in, in sports marketing, we started um partnering with trainers and with perceived experts um, in the training and the, you know, nutrition space and everything. And now is the early, 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 early days of influencer marketing.
1: Yeah.
0: And, um, and to see what it's become now, it's like quite honestly it's it's sad you know it's because it was so pure it really was the idea that like you trust your trainer and you trust this person and everything else and now it's become very transactional um, I don't love this space, but I don't have to be in this space because right. of the the co- the job that we're growing, the company we're growing here.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: but that was one of the things, you know, like we had a whole influencer marketing plan when I was at Super Coffee, when I was at Under Armour. Um, and, and, you know, I think that in large part is where the bulk of the spend needs to be in social media at this point mm-hmm. still, unfortunately. Yeah.
1: Cool. <laughs> um- and that's obviously a different audience than the one you want to reach, which is very, very targeted.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, last question for me um, is since you guys started this, let's let's just go p- put a pin in like 18 months ago through last year. What's been the biggest change from what you thought you were going to be to where you are today? Yeah. Uh, whether it's physically or, you know, with, with the, the building that's there now, by the way, Tom, they have a podcast studio. I forgot to tell you that. So. Oh, nice. Okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> Um, and then what's been the biggest surprise? So, you know, what changed from the beginning and what's been the biggest surprise?
0: Um, so I think the biggest change probably was getting it off the ground. You know, like I think we we probably underestimated how um, how much we had to have in place for members to be able to tangibly understand what we were building for them. And so the clubhouse when i came on last september and we thought the clubhouse would open in march and then all the reasons of covid delays like the you know the building materials and all of that still being a problem the expenses on the building materials and everything we it delayed out from march to september and we had been selling these clubhouse memberships and had to tell them sorry, we're not ready yet. We aren't there yet. We aren't there yet. We aren't there yet. And then being like, Hey, we're there. Come on over. (laughs) And so I think that was probably maybe one of the harder, harder situations that we were trying to navigate and stuff. And, um, you know, and now that it's open, like people can actually like, and we're doing events and everything. They're like, Oh, I get it. Mm -hmm. Oh, I gotcha this is the tangible thing and and summit really helped us with that with some of the national members too um i think it's different when you're like living and breathing it in a in a physical space so,
1: and then what's been the biggest surprise
0: um the biggest surprise honestly has been i think we we had the hypothesis that the network would um would the energy out of the network would be incredible but actually feeling it and seeing it and seeing people connect like I did a, um, a pickleball event in Boston here two nights ago, and I, you know, randomly been inviting some of our members, some people that had reached out with interest about the post and everything, and invited. It was ended up being about thirty people, and the number of connections of people that were like hadn't seen each other before COVID. We need to regroup. We need to do business together. Let's grab coffee tomorrow. Like the power of this network and the energy from the network is really amazing, and it just fuels it fuels us even more to want to do more. Mm-hmm. So great,
2: Tom. That's great. Now, when you mentioned Clubhouse, it, it called to mind Joe the the ill fated uh social media audio space from a few years ago where oh, everybody i think you're gonna say
1: Clubhouse. Pee-wee, club <laughs> no, app. It's a
2: no, i was gonna say to tori you know since you couldn't yeah. open the building you had to delay the opening of the actual physical clubhouse you could have sent them to the app and said hey, i totally forgot that? about that
0: oh my god i wow. forgot about that too yeah. <laughs> i mean
2: what was it like two
0: years ago where it was yeah. so red yeah. hot it was like for the like six months it. like yeah.
2: everybody yeah. was obsessed with it what was the other one? There was another one that came and went too. Well, Twitter spaces still exists, but yeah, yeah, it's, it, never, it never got the traction that everybody thought it would. I think everybody I realized, yeah. I mean, just, just an interesting point, actually, talking about marketing. I think everybody thought this was going to be this whole new realm of social media. Wow. Social, they called it social audio. And I think what everybody realized, for those of us who used to use it from time to time, is that there's only so much you can take on one topic. And not everybody who goes into these things are good extemporaneous speakers. And Joe, it's kind of what we've learned in the pod: some people kind of drone on, some people don't really make their points. Like, not—it's a hard thing to do to to speak effectively extemporaneously. And I think everybody realized, well, I don't think the demand is there for
1: all just random people to be talking. Constantly. I, I totally—you know—there's it, 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 such a long list of things that have failed in the last five years in the space. It's—it's it's, we're just going to do it. That'll be our year-end show, Tom. It a, failure. Be. <laughs> a show on failure. Whatever our
2: year-end show should be a live
1: Twitter spaces or something. We'll, we'll see how many anyway. people show up. <laughs> so, um, Tori, our last two questions before we let you go. Um, how do you stay up to date with everything that's going on, especially with the diversity of members that you have? Uh, and you've touched on some of the advice, but if there's one thing that you hone in for, on for, whether it's you know young Maryland lacrosse players who come up to you or – you know, people you meet on the street, what's the advice you give people for either career changers or people starting out?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think it's like, um, you know, listening to your interests um, and and the, the idea of grounding in a purpose. Right. Um, sometimes we get so caught up on like the title or the job or whatever mm. else and stuff. And it's like, at the end of the day, and, and our ego, right? And oh my God, is so-and-so going to be impressed by my new job title and, and all that stuff? And it's like, if you're doing it for them, you're going to be unhappy in a year, less than a year, right? And so I actually, I tell people that when they start going through um, resume, uh, uh, job descriptions, highlight what you like about that job description, cross out what you don't like about that job description. And then do that, keep doing that, do 25 or so job descriptions. And you're going to start understanding and seeing patterns of things that interest you and things that don't interest you. And it's not to say that when you ultimately take a job, that it's going to be the perfect job for you. It's not. You're going to be asked to do things that you don't enjoy doing, but go into it with a curious mindset then. Mm -hmm. Like go into it really saying like, okay, if I want to be this then I'm gonna to have to get over the fact that my eyes roll the back of my head when we talk budgets or something like that you know so yeah, um, yeah.
1: cool and then how do you great, by ahead? the way that's a great yeah. answer
2: because I, I and and by the way that, Tom
1: that's an answer that really we haven't heard before no and, and, what you and, said and you can that also echoes just something with.
2: that I often talk about with people yeah. is like do like a surgical analysis of a job description mm-hmm. yeah and I, I think Tori like literally physically if you're if you're writing this out highlighting the stuff you like and, and crossing out what you don't like, that's a really good way to look. You can almost look visually, almost like an infographic after you're done doing something like that, but yeah. also to see, um, see what language they're using mm-hmm. in the job description for your outreach. And yeah. guess what? There are certain phrases and words the companies use. So it's good to echo that. And number two is, you know, especially where it says qualifications and they have that list of bullets, Make a determination, which is usually easy to do, whether something's a hard skill or a soft skill. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If if there's two things in a row, this is must speak Spanish fluently and must be a good team player. There's a big difference between. Yeah. <laughs> between <those. laughs> yeah. Um,
0: you know, um, on that point, really quick too is that. um You know, there's the, the stat that's out there right now that like women on the qualifications, you have to meet every qualification or you don't even apply for it. Right. And men are like, whatever, I'll, yeah,
2: whatever, I'll throw in the app.
0: Whether that's true or not true. What I've found is that like, as I'm hiring for a job, I actually want somebody that is going to grow into that job because if they have all the qualifications, then they're going to be bored in six months. And I'm going to have to fill that job again. Right. Right. And so I think that's something else is like, think about it from that angle. And then in an interview, you can talk about that a little right. bit. Too.
1: Right. Cool. Yeah. And then um, the last question, which was right before this. So where do you get all your information from podcasts, newsletters? Where do you read? Um,
0: I, I, a little of everything. So I'm a big podcast per I like, I love going on a run or a walk and listening to podcasts. Um, and I am, I'm one, this is probably bad. I, like I don't love reading fiction. I don't love reading like novels and stuff like that. Like I read and I digest information to learn. And I think that's something that like, I, I, I don't give myself downtime maybe that's a bad thing but um but I think that there, there's opportunities like even on a run or a walk like you can be you know coaching your brain and and things like mm-hmm. that so uh articles um honestly you know Joe I think that some of the stuff you deliver all the time I'm like it, it, like want to read all that stuff it's like people that you trust curating Reading like um, you know, whether it's a newsletter or suggestions of getting kicked over a, an article here or there, like that's kind of where I get my information is from my my own network.
1: Cool. And then uh, lastly and most importantly, tell us where people can find you and learn more about the post.
0: Yes. So I am um I'm on LinkedIn, Tori Wellington Hannah. Um and then, um, yeah, like, I'm, I love helping, you know, um, you know, and mentoring and everything. And so I was able to, you know, be an adjunct pro- professor at Georgetown in the early days and stuff. I've always enjoyed that part. So please don't hesitate.
1: And this website is? for The
0: The, post? the post.co, C-O, the post, T-H-E-P-O-S-T dot C-O. Cool. Yeah. That's a good. That's
2: a good uh domain. Yeah. Um, Tori. By the way, before we say goodbye, are you going to try to get back into teaching at some point?
0: I do want to. Yes. Yeah. So I yeah. have three kids that are. You know, my oldest is twelve, youngest is eight. Um, oh yeah, you got a busy got life. Right it, <laughs> but well, I definitely want to get back into it.
2: Yeah. Cool. That's great. Well,
1: thank well, you for giving us all your time. Yeah. This thank has been great. I mean. Tom, how much have we learned again today? I mean, that we didn't expect.
2: Amazing. Really good Great. stuff. Um, uh, again, appreciate your uh, your insights and sharing all those excellent recommendations, especially on the career stuff. That was that was really good. Absolutely.
0: Cool. I enjoyed
1: it. So to wrap us up as we begin December, uh, once again, thanks to everyone for listening again as we head towards year number eight. Uh, we're going to continue to keep going. and Our guest today was Tori Hanna, the Chief Business Officer of The Post, tremendous career. I'm Joe Favarito along with my Uh, son Richardson (laughs) here on the 1st of December. We will see you down the road.